Please turn with me to Joshua chapter 7, verses 15 through 26. You can also follow along on page 7 of your bulletin. He who is caught with the devoted things shall be destroyed by fire, along with all that belongs to him. He has violated the covenant of the Lord and has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. Early the next morning, Joshua had Israel come forward by tribes, and Judah was taken. The clans of Judah came forward, and he took the Zerahites. He had the clan of the Zerahites come forward by families, and Zimri was taken. Joshua had his family come forward man by man, and Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give him the praise. Tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Achan replied, It is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and there it was, taken in his tent, with the silver underneath. They took the things from the tent, brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites, and spread them out before the Lord. Then Joshua, together with all Israel, took Achan, son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, the gold wedge, his sons and daughters, his cattle, donkeys and sheep, his tent, and all that he had to the valley of Accor. Joshua said, Why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him, and after they had stoned the rest, they burned them. Over Achan, they heaped up a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his fierce anger. Therefore, that place has been called the Valley of Accor ever since. This is the word of God. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Brian. I'm uh, one of the pastors here. Um, and I got to say, it's actually been a long time since um, I'm here uh, this morning with you all uh, sharing the word on the pulpit. So it is a great privilege and a joy to be here with you all this morning. And I feel like just a very special uh, and very just joy-filled day. You know, I'm so glad just even come together and seeing this thriving college ministry coming together, getting me all of the feels while I'm watching this video. You know, even seeing um, a beloved brother of mine and um, his son entering into the covenant family. It's just such a joyful day uh, here. And uh, man, um, I'm just so glad. And although, you know, I'm in the Cherry Hill site primarily, um, you know, knowing that, um, you know, we have uh, just a team uh, just uh, with everyone praying come together, um, hoping and praying for the flourishing of, of, of Metro as a whole, and especially uh, this East Falls site. But um, on that note, um, we want to dive into the word uh, this morning. We've been going through a sermon series entitled God's Presence in Our Brokenness. And it's ultimately where we've been looking at uh, some of the more challenging passages within the Old Testament. See, there's no doubt that there are some passages in Scripture uh, that are just really difficult to understand. 
There's no question that there are passages in the Old Testament that are disturbing. I mean, we're talking about uh, issues of uh, religious war. We're talking about sacrifice. We're even talking about things like rape and even death. Ultimately, these are passages that seem to contradict the character of God. But the reason why we wanted to go through these difficult passages is to ultimately demonstrate that these passages, they don't go against the character of God, but rather it only affirms God's grace towards undeserving people like you and I. And I really do believe that when we dive into these passages, that um, these difficult passages, when we're able to just kind of process through them in the, in the, in the, in the lens that's greater than we can ever imagine, not only will it shape our understanding of society as a whole, but ultimately it will shape us and who we are right now, especially if you're considering the Christian faith. So for this morning, we're going to go into the book of Joshua, and we're going to learn specifically more about the gripping effects of sin. So I have three points for us this morning as we navigate through our text today. First, we're going to talk about the weight of sin. Secondly, the grip of sin. And finally, the healing of sin. The weight, the grip, and the healing. Let's dive right in. Now, the book of Joshua, it takes place after the death of Moses, where Joshua, the new Moses, he leads God's people to the promised land. But what's happening is after the success of Israel's first victory in Canaan, right, in the first uh, five chapters, what you're seeing in the book of Joshua is there's just this great flourishing. The victory was won. Uh, people are uh, joyful because uh, they are experiencing God's present glory in light of redemption and just land and renewal. Well, all of a sudden, beginning in chapter 6, uh, there becomes a little bit of a pivot. And in chapter 6, there becomes a little bit of a conflict, specifically in the Battle of Ai. In this battle, all of a sudden, things are changing. All of a sudden, they're not experiencing what is known as victory, but now they're experiencing despair. The battle is being lost. Soldiers, are, uh, their lives are uh, being lost. Uh, now they're wondering what is going on. Where is God in all of this? Because all of a sudden, we are no longer flourishing. And the question is, why? Why the pivot all of a sudden? Well, verse 15 gives us a little bit on the reasoning. Read with me. Whoever is caught with the devoted things shall be destroyed by fire along with all that belongs to him. He has violated the covenant of the Lord and has done an outrageous thing in Israel. What do we see in verse 15? God tells Joshua that Israel has violated the covenant, ultimately by stealing the, the devoted things. And the result of this unfaithfulness, God makes it clear that he's not going to be with them anymore, that he's no longer going to win any victories for the people of Israel. And in fact, whoever disobeyed this command specifically uh, by stealing and lying, they ultimately will be destroyed. Now, I know some of y'all are like, mm, well, hold up. That's, that's a lot right there, bro. Isn't that kind of harsh? Just because some things were stolen, 
You're telling me God isn't going to be with the people anymore? You're telling me just because he stole some things, he's now going to be destroyed by fire? Now, before we kind of rush into some conclusions, let me provide some context for us. The purpose of bringing God's people to Canaan was to fulfill a promise. And that promise that God made was since the days of Genesis. And it was to live out the promise of God when we see he declares, I will be your God and you will be my people. So for this promise to be fulfilled, God gave them a command. He gave them a law. He knew we needed the law for the sake of accountability to always be mindful of the prize ahead. So he gives this command for the people of God that as they enter into the land, they were never to see this land for personal gain. Whenever you obtained land, it was always meant for the glory of God. It was not meant for any type of imperialistic desire. It was not meant for your materialistic desire. Ultimately, whatever was won in battle, it was primarily meant to be used to build the tabernacle, ultimately where God would dwell in their midst. In other words, the worship of God was priority. And anything that got into the way of that priority would not be taken lightly. And everyone was held accountable to this. What do I mean? See, in the Old Testament, to break this down, you have to understand that the relationship between God and his people, it was a covenantal relationship, right? Between God and the people, it was covenantal. Meaning, if it was God and the people of God, Anyone within that covenant, right, any one member, if he transgressed that covenant, the entire nation's relationship with him was also damaged. In other words, one person's sin didn't just defile himself, but it also defiled the entire community. Right? Covenant is not just like a one-to-one -one covenant. When we think about covenant in the Old Testament, it was a whole people to God's type of covenant. Meaning, if one sin, everyone sins. And that's what you're going to see later. It's because of Achan's sin is as if everyone sinned. It was as if Achan's sin was imputed to the people of God. What does that primarily tell us right now? It tells us this. If there is a representative component to sin, your personal sin impacts not just you, but ultimately it also impacts the people that surround you. Your sin is not just your sin, even though it is. But what I'm trying to say is that in light of your sin, it not only impacts you, but impacts everyone that you know, everyone that is close to you, your family, your friends, your church community. Everyone is impacted by your sin. When one person sins in the community of God's people, it grieves the entire community. Consider the most uh, horrific tragedies in our history. When we think about all of the wars, if we think about even right now presently, when we think about all of the mass school shootings, when we think about all of these horrific things, how often is it through one person's sin, but ultimately it just spreads all throughout and everyone is impacted by it all. 
If I can kind of bring it down to more of a personal note, right? When we think about our homes and the brokenness of our households, how often does it begin with one person's sin? And as that person's sin is being uh, uh, grieved on and impacted, it not only impacts that person, but impacts uh, everyone else within that household. How often do we hear about churches today and church leadership because of the brokenness and the sins of one church leader and how that kind of impacts and is now imputed amongst the entire community. Everyone experiences this type of brokenness when sin is not being addressed. See, sin, it hurts the integrity of community. The entire community is affected, paying the price. Your sin, beloved, it weighs upon everyone. That is why in this passage, when we bring it back, everyone is impacted by Achan's sin. Everyone is damaged. There is damage done to others. There's damage done to society at large. And certainly we see the damage is done to the people of God. Beloved, if one man's sin can disrupt an entire people group, your unaddressed sin can damage your family, your relationship, the church. And my question simply is, are you taking your sin seriously? If sin can disrupt a nation, are you considering how it is slowly disrupting and damaging you and even the people that you love the most? See, the thing about sin is that it's way more impactful than you think, not just upon others, but ultimately yourself as well. And this leads us to our second point, the grip of sin. Look at verse 20 and 21 with me. Achan replied, it is true, I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. What we see here is Joshua, uh, he's confronting Achan about his sin. And how does Achan respond? Well, he opens up to it. He owns it. He says, yep, I I confess, Uh, Joshua, I stole the devoted things. And what I want to highlight briefly is that, you know, when we read this uh, specific verse, um, What Achan saw, it wasn't insignificant, right? Uh, Many commentators note that the silver and the gold that's represented, it was technically about an average, uh, what an average worker would have earned in a lifetime, right? So if I can kind of contextualize that right now, uh, Achan, he's looking for early retirement. Right? He, he's gripped, right? He, he's gripped about uh, this dream of being rich and successful, early retirement, vacation after vacation after vacation. And it just drew him in. And he was gripped by this uh, idea. He was gripped by this future dream. And the point is this. Sin, it has a gripping effect upon all of us. Sin, it has the power to overcome your conscience. It has the power to overcome any logic, 
And he even has the power to overcome any fear of consequence. See, let me say it this way. I know we talk about sin and we say, you know what, sin is blinding, right? Which is true, right? Sin can be blinding, right? It can be something that you're not aware of. But sometimes sin is actually just very, very evident. (laughs) Sometimes we know when things are too sinful. But sometimes you simply just don't care. Because sin has that type of effect upon all of us. The question becomes, in this passage, well, how did Achan become so gripped? Right? How did Achan become so gripped to the point of careless self-destruction and even the destruction of the people of God? If you look at Achan's confession, he actually describes how sin will typically grip us. Right? And I think it's kind of practical when we look at his confession because I think we can apply this as well in terms of maybe what grips us. Right? So when you look at uh, verse 21 in his confession, in this one sentence, he talks about the gripping effect of sin and how it begins. What do we see? The first thing Achan says, what does he say? He says, I saw. I'm going to stop right there. Achan said, I confess. And how it started how I became gripped by sin, he was, I saw. Now, when we see this, this little phrase, right, this is the same uh, word ultimately translated as the word behold, meaning he gazed. See, whenever you think about temptation, right, it goes beyond just looking, right? There are beautiful things in this world. So, you know, when you see something beautiful, right, Okay, yeah, that, that looks pretty cool. But, but, but Aiken didn't just say that that looks cool, right? He, he was droopy-eyed. He, he, was, he was struck by it, right? He, he was gazing at it. He beheld the beauty. And I guess the point is whenever you think about temptation, it, it goes beyond just looking, but it's the idea of staying there to behold something. In other words, before Achan indulged in this kind of intense, passionate lusting we uh, might recognize as temptation, what he did was he first gave himself the freedom to gaze and admire, right? He, he, he gave him the, the, the freedom to gaze at all. And, you know, for all of my young folk, just real quick, that's why things like Instagram, right, not necessarily a bad thing, but you got to be careful, because sometimes that freedom to gaze can open up a lot of doors and you don't, might not want to open them. Second thing we see, Aiken says, I coveted. Now, the verb to covet is identical to what we find ultimately in the 10th commandment. It ultimately describes an over-desire that no one has a right to possess. Right? This is kind of coming to that point when there's that one thing uh, that's now always running in your mind. It's that one thing you're dreaming of. It's the one thing that you're constantly imagining, saying, if I, if I have that one thing in my life, if I have that one thing that I just saw as beauty, and if I could just 
kind of take hold of the beauty, that will fulfill me, right? That is what we're talking about Achan. And look at Achan in this passage. It's really interesting. Was He was clearly coveting. We know this because in this, in this statement, right, he breaks it down. He's talking about the details, right? Look, at he knows how much gold is in the plunder. He knows exactly how much silver is in this plunder. He even knew how much the gold weighed. In other words, he was coveting so much, he knew every single detail about what was in there. That's what coveting is. It's an over-desire. You are just constantly thinking about it. You're constantly hoping, if I just have a little bit of it, I'll be good. Then it leads us to a little bit more. What's the third thing we see? He says he took them. When you're coveting something, ultimately it will always lead to an action. Now, the reality is sometimes you may not be able to take that certain thing, right? But, the, but what I'm trying to say is there's some desire. When you have that type of over-desire, it will always lead to some sort of action. And fourthly, what do we see? He hides them, right? Achan hides the devoted things, ultimately because he doesn't want to lose what he thinks is his. And if I could just stop here for a second, I want to kind of highlight this notion of hiding you know, in some ways right now, friends, if you are hiding your sin, if you're fearful of being exposed or maybe you feel like you're t- it's too shameful to confess your sin, I want to just exhort you right now because I want to tell you that you're probably really deep in your sin. And if you think you're not hurting anyone by not saying anything, if you think you're not hurting yourself because you're not saying anything, I just want to let you know that in my most, my most, most pastoral way, um, hear me when I say you're dead wrong. I implore you that if this is you right now and you are hiding sin, consider what it means to confess to the Lord primarily and consider what it means to confess to a friend, to a church leader, for the sake of renewal. What does Aiken's confession tell us? It tells us this. It tells us that sin has a grip before any act. Sin ultimately begins with an over-desire. Sin uh, allows your heart to latch onto something. It controls you to the point where all reasoning and all health is lost because you are unable to control it, right? That we all gaze our eyes onto something. You and I, our eyes gaze onto something. It may be like Aiken and you want the money and the success. For some of us, maybe you're gazing your eyes upon relationships. Maybe for some of us, it's the notion of a successful family and a, just a really big, great household. We're all gazing upon something because we think it's going to give us an ultimate value and worth. But the question is, is at what cost? What cost was it for Achan? It ultimately would be his life. And in the same way, when we think about the control that these things have upon us, the thing that we gaze upon, the question is, at what cost will it take? See, what many of us may overly desire right now is not different from what Achan desired. But what this passage will ultimately tell us That the one thing that uh, you gaze your eyes upon, the one thing you think will give you worth, 
is actually the one thing that is crushing the people that are surrounding you, and ultimately it will crush you. So that leads us to our third point. Where does the healing come from? How can I be healed from the grip of my sin? That leads us to our third point. Look at verse 25 with me. Joshua said, why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him, and after they had stoned the rest, they burned them. Now looking at this verse, you're saying, I don't want that type of healing, Brian. Your boy just got stoned. (laughs) And you're right. No one wants that. No one wants death. Why would you want penalty? If you're telling me that there's a penalty ahead, why would I want to confess to you? That's what I want to highlight, friends. Achan, him breaking the covenant, it deserved death. That's the point. Confession is not enough. Confession is not true repentance. Agreeing that you've sinned, saying, my bad, I did that, you're right, that's never enough. There was real damage done to God's people because Achan was simply so involved in, self-involved in his own desires. So yeah, sorry, don't cut it. There are heavy consequences to sin. Sin has a penalty. The Bible makes it clear, and it's ultimately death. Someone always has to pay. God doesn't just let it go. If God let it go without cost, then he is not a God of justice. See, that's why Achan was stoned for his sins. He had to pay the cost. And what I'm trying to say right now to all of us here in the same way, we too deserve these stones. We deserve to be stoned for our sins. You and I, because of our sins and our finiteness and our weakness and our brokenness, we absolutely deserve the stones. But although the story ended for Achan in this way, that is not our story. Centuries later, Jesus Christ, the one who perfectly had his gaze upon the Father and nothing else. He took the penalty of the cross. He took an infinite infinite amount of stones, stone after stone after stone, pelted on him upon the cross so that you and I, when we accept him and trust him in all that we do in our lives, we no longer have to experience the wrath of God. See, on the cross, Jesus Jesus Christ on the cross, excuse me, he lost what was greater than gold and silver. He lost what was more beautiful than a robe. He ultimately lost his relationship with the Father, and that's why on the cross he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In other words, Jesus, he willingly became Achan. The cross on Calvary was his valley of a core. 
so that you and I, we can be clothed with the robe of righteousness and that we would receive the riches not just of silver and gold, but ultimately the treasures of heaven. And the question becomes, why? Brian, why would he, why would he do such a thing? Why would Jesus Christ give it all up just like that? Why would he take the stones? It's because Jesus, he always had his eyes gazed upon you. Sin was great, but his love was greater. And to the degree you believe this, is then the degree you can turn away from your covetous heart and fix your eyes upon Jesus. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, the word of encouragement, that let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. See, when you gaze and fix your eyes upon Jesus, it then will become the healing to your sin. Because when Jesus becomes the ultimate source of beauty, it will then melt the beauty of the things your eyes typically gaze upon. When you fix your eyes upon Jesus, it will reorient the priorities of your life. You can then identify the the devoted things within your life. And not only will you identify, but because you are so won over by the love of Christ for you, you will begin to let go the love of other things that impact you. So how do we apply uh, this passage for us right now? There are two things I simply want to highlight. First, friends, the importance of worship. See, just as Achan was fixated on the devoted good things, would we consider what it means to behold the beauty of Jesus? So you're saying, well, how does that really play out? Simple. To behold is to worship, right? Take worship seriously. If you are new, maybe you're checking us out, Maybe you're kind of considering the faith, right? The one thing I'll say, if you're considering it, take worship seriously, right? Commit to a local church. Commit to a Sunday service, right? These things are important, right? We need to this. We need spiritual rest. God makes it clear that it is a command to rest. So, you know, when we think about what it means to behold, it primarily means to worship, Now, for some of you guys, if you're not new and, you know, what I want to kind of challenge you on is that, you know, not to assume that just because you're serving on a worship team or you're serving on the, at the church that you're actually genuinely worshiping. Um, I, you know, I think sometimes, you know, a lot of us church folk, we kind of get lost in that, especially pastors, right? We get lost in uh, the notion of, you know, the, the, the work, right, rather than actual rest. So behold. The second thing I want to highlight is community. In verse 19, what do we see? In verse 19, the reason why Achan confesses is because Joshua confronts. And it was Joshua confronting Achan of his sin, and it was through this then would be the flourishing of God's covenant community. What I'm trying to say is what's going to be important as you consider this journey of the Christian faith 
What you need as a community, what you need as a church, what you need is like-minded friends that's going to be able to confront you like Joshua confronted Achan for the sake of accountability. Because sometimes sin is just too gripping. Sometimes sin is just too blinding. So sometimes you need someone to just give you a gracious wake-up call. Make sure you don't stone them. But be bold and confess for the sake of accountability. As I begin to kind of land this plane, I, I just want, I want to close with this thought. Achan, he hid the plunder, right? He lied about it. He was deceptive. And he hid. And he hid ultimately because if he knew he got caught, he would ultimately be stoned to death. Some of this room, some of us in this room, you may feel like you have to hide your sin. Some of us may feel like you have to cover up your sin because you're worried about getting the same punishment. So you want to avoid this conversation. You want to avoid this topic about sin. And if this is you right now, consider Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Consider the cross. For Jesus, he paid the penalty of sin with his blood. Consider Jesus because those stones that you're so worried about getting, if you confess, Jesus already took the stones because of his love for you. If you are crushed by your guilt, your dishonor, and your shame, plunge yourself into the grace of God by declaring your faith and your trust in him. And do me a favor. If you do that right now, come find me. Because <laughs> I would love to talk to you and pray with you and talk about what it means to journey in light of the gospel right now. Would you join me in prayer?